Good morning. I'm going to be looking at the book of Philemon this morning. Um, if you have the red Bibles, it's page 1183. Otherwise, if you're trying to find that little tiny book, it's right before the book of Hebrews. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear brother and fellow worker. To Apatha, our sister. To Arch- Archippus, our fellow soldier. And to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith, so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement, because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in change for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, our Aristarchus, Damas, and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Shall we pray? Gracious God, thank you for your word, which is alive. And we pray that today you would address that word to our lives, to all the places in which we live and inhabit on a regular basis. May it take on flesh in our living, God. May it come alive here as a community of faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There's a word that uh, you're, you're going to hear a lot in, among Christians or in church circles, and uh, it's the word gospel. And the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. It is an announcement that something has happened in history that God has come into time and space to rescue us, to rescue people in need of rescue. And in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
God did that. That is the good news. Sometimes when we use the word gospel, we can get a little confused about it. Sometimes it can get reduced to content. So people would think that the gospel is just ideas that you think about and entertain in your head. But Christianity is not a philosophy. It's not less than important ideas, but it's so much more. Sometimes people can reduce it to um, a moral code. And again, it's not less than life-giving direction for living, but it's so much more. The gospel is also a power, the Bible says. Romans, the Apostle Paul in Romans talks about this. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God that brings salvation. It is the power of God. The way you know you're getting to understand Christianity in the gospel is that instead of it being just a set of ideas you begin to sense a power gripping your heart and bringing change to your life. All of a sudden, you see things differently. Your life, you, you live it differently. And in this tiny little book called Philemon, you know, Paul writes many letters, epistles. This is like a postcard, I think. This little postcard of an epistle, Philemon. Here we get a window into the power of God, of gospel, at work. In this 25-verse book, the gospel as a power gets applied in some real-life situations, and we get a front-row seat to it being worked out. The Apostle Paul wrote this compact note to a man named Philemon. Now, Philemon was a man of means, lived in a town, a city called Colossae, um, and he was a man of means and influence who was converted to Christianity. And in the opening verses, you catch this sense of how deeply appreciative Paul is for the life and the faith and the love of this man Philemon. Um, Paul cherishes this guy. This is, this is the type of guy you really want in your church, you know. This is a leader. This is a gifted man, a man of, of generosity and love. He opened his home, and, and a house church is actually meeting. They worship God. They pray. They read scriptures. They encourage one another in Philemon's house. And like any person of wealth in that time, Philemon also owned household slaves. Now for us today, we hear that and, and it's just like, you know, it's, it's loathsome, offensive even to talk about that, to imagine that. But in that day, it was as normal and natural as owning a computer or having a car. It was as everyday as electricity and Wi-Fi. No one suggested you get rid of slavery. Um, maybe some people in their quieter moments would reflect on that and think, hmm. But then very quickly they'd correct themselves and, you know, dismiss that sort of crazy talk. Everyone knew that some people were just by nature made to be slaves. That's what they assumed. One of Philemon's slaves was someone named Onesimus. It's likely a name given to him by Philemon. Sometimes masters, slave masters, would name their slaves. Onesimus means useful. It was a slave nickname. After years of work, however, Onesimus probably wasn't that useful anymore because after years of being looked down upon, after years of not having his real name called but some slave nickname, with bitterness and 
anger rising up in his heart, seeing no way out of this miserable life of slavery, Onesimus decides to take the gamble of a lifetime. And gathering up all the courage he can, he makes a break for it. Well, he probably gathered up a few other things, because to finance any runaway, most slaves would steal from their masters. So, in all likelihood, Onesimus took some money, as many coins as he could quietly keep, a few valuables, and he disappears in the night, headed for the nearest city, probably Ephesus, where he could slip into that big city and just be anonymous. Now, that was a dangerous thing because for a slave to run away, that was a capital offense. And if caught, it meant at best a brutal beating, probably a branding on his forehead or somewhere else on his body. At worst, it was a death sentence. The master had a legal right to call for the death of a runaway slave. And again, this was just the normal way of things. Slavery was a, it was a disordered social reality, but it was an accepted part of life. It's just the way things were. The broken system, the unjust structures were just woven into the fiber of that time and that culture. So much so that Christian owners like Philemon, good Christian people, would have slaves. Which is a good caution for us who live today, a reminder that no matter what age, no matter what culture we live in, we all are participating in some commonly accepted cultural practice or social structure that the gospel stands in opposition to, that the gospel critiques. Generations from now, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, are going to look back at some of our practices and say, and you called yourself Christians? How could you do that? Which should give us an appropriate sense of humility right now, and I guess an appropriate posture towards someone like Philemon. So good Christian Philemon owned slaves. And the life of a slave was not good. I mean, even if he had a Christian master... It was a miserable existence. Otherwise, Onesimus would have stayed, right? But he ran. And while on the run, somehow, we're not sure, we don't have any detail on that, Onesimus comes across the Apostle Paul. And in conversation with Paul, as, as these conversations begin, Onesimus hears a, a message that is so compelling, a message that speaks of a valuation of himself as greater than a slave. He senses his true worth in Jesus Christ. He senses a, a new freedom found in Jesus Christ, and he becomes a Christian. The power of the gospel just grips his life as he embraces the risen Lord Jesus, and he's a new man. He's experienced the liberating power of the gospel. And then a decision gets made. Onesimus is to return back to Philemon and give himself up to his master. And Paul writes a cover letter, our letter of Philemon, that Onesimus now carries back with him back to his master Philemon. Now, for anyone with any measure of moral sensitivity, this should be setting off some ethical alarms, right? Paul is sending Onesimus back to his slave master. 
Isn't this out of sync with the whole direction of the gospel? Where's, where's the power of the gospel in this? Sending a slave back to his master. Where's the freedom in that? And why isn't Paul, you know, rising up a revolution against slavery, against unjust systems? Why isn't he kicking at the darkness that's all around him? Now, we know there were stiff penalties for anyone harboring a fugitive slave. So you wonder, did Paul just cave? Well, Onesimus became a Christian. That's enough, isn't it? But is that what the gospel looks like? I think we face similar dilemmas to that in our world. Because if you look out of the world, the world can seem so cracked and corrupted. The problems of our workplaces and our world just feel so daunting, so complex, that it's hard to imagine how God might be at work at all in it. It can make you wonder about the power of the gospel sometimes. You know, in this month, we're celebrating black history here in Canada. Consider the reality of racism that still stubbornly exists today. You know, while we've witnessed ugly white supremacy south of the border, let's not be lulled into any comfortable smugness that it's not here in Canada either. Think of these few things. In Toronto, often referred to as the most diverse city in the world, you are four times more likely to be stopped by police if you're black, then if you're white. In Canada, 25% of all federal prisoners are aboriginals. Well, only 4% of our population are aboriginals. Something's off there. And while blacks make up 2.5% of Canada's population, they make up 10% of our prison population. Consider all the missing and murdered aboriginal women. Think of the appalling conditions and squalor that Aboriginal communities in our country continue to live in. And you wonder, how is that still possible? After all these years, is that, is that just the way things are? Why can't we see the gospel affecting some change? But perhaps there's more at work than what we can see. In J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, if you know the story, a group of nine companions carry a ring of power that has to be destroyed. But there are so many evil forces stacked up against this fellowship of the ring. And in one especially bleak moment with the group lost in a dark mountain without light, despairing in a dark place, the hobbit Frodo speaks what everyone's feeling. And he says, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish... None of this had happened. He just cannot see any hope. And he would just like to run away from it all. But then Gandalf, the wise wizard, says, there are other forces at work in the world, Frodo, besides the will of evil. Bilbo was meant to find the ring, in which case you were meant to have it. There are other forces at work. Gandalf is providing Frodo with sort of a new angle of vision on what he can see, helping Frodo see that perhaps what I see is not all there is. Perhaps there's more at work. I don't know about you, but sometimes I need a fresh angle of vision on how I see the world around me. Because sometimes we can get so acclimated to the way things are 
that we don't even notice that God is at work. Slowly, maybe quietly, but surely at work in this world. Think of your life. Perhaps something is afoot in your workplace that feels really bleak that you just haven't had the eyes to see. Just maybe in those relational struggles that have caused such heartache, a providential good is at work. Perhaps beyond or beyond, behind forces that wreck our world, great as they seem, is the power of the gospel at work. That is what Paul is reminding Philemon of. Paul does for Philemon what Gandalf does for Frodo. Paul is, is leading up to his appeal, to his request for Onesimus, but he does first so by reframing things for Philemon, and he provides a divine angle in on this situation. For Philemon, a runaway slave, that's an economic hit, right? It's an economic loss, and it's a capital offense that must be met with justice. But Paul wonders, perhaps there are other forces at work here, Philemon. Perhaps God is at work in this. Perhaps the power of the gospel is at play in a way that you never quite imagined. In verse 15, Paul writes, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while is that you might have him back forever. Paul's helping Philemon see a little more deeply, a little more clearly to see the quiet, sometimes hidden, but very real power of the gospel at work, showing that Onesimus' flight might actually have some divine purpose to it. Because God has transformed Onesimus' life. And perhaps God separated the slave from the master Philemon in order that Onesimus could meet his true master. Jesus, and perhaps God separated the master Philemon from his slave so that he might be reintroduced to his slave in an entirely new way, as a brother. And so in verse 15, Paul again writes, perhaps the reason he was separated from you was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a brother. No longer, those two words... Those are words of gospel power. Those are explosive, life-changing words that declare a new status. They proclaim a new reality. Onesimus has been utterly changed by the gospel. The, the inside-out power of the gospel has changed his heart. God has accepted him and loved him freely by grace. In God's sight, he is beautiful and forgiven. And Onesimus is now living out this new joy, this new freedom and gratitude He's no longer the same. No longer. Do you know how often you hear those words throughout the Bible? And in such powerful, potent places. Think of all the times you hear that. Jesus introduces us to a new relationship with him when he says, no longer do I call you servants, but instead I call you friends. Or we follow Jesus into a new creation because as Romans 6, verse 9 proclaims to us, since Christ has risen from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. And what about your life? Who are you in Jesus Christ right now? Galatians proclaims you are no longer a slave. You are God's child. 
And because of this new life we have, that means we look at others differently. And so 2 Corinthians says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. And those two words, no longer, provide some of us our greatest hope. Because in Revelation 21, we see that, quote, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and no longer will there be death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away no longer. And when we realize that Jesus is doing something like that, where there's going to be a day where there's no more tears, no more pain, where Jesus is someday going to destroy hunger and disease and poverty and injustice and death itself, It makes Christianity what C.S. Lewis called a fighting religion. Because the things that are now wrong in this material world, Jesus intends to put right. And this is the upside-down power of the gospel, the power of the gospel to enter into this world and just turn it upside down. Jesus, though he was rich, became poor. Though he was king, he served. Though he was the greatest, he made himself a slave. Though he he was the servant of all. And though he triumphed over sin, he did it not by taking power, but by sacrificial service. He won through losing everything. That's that's the complete reversal of, of this world's way of thinking, which values power and recognition and wealth. And so the gospel creates this upside-down dynamic and kingdom with people who live out an entirely different way of being human, of relating to one another. And so racial and class superiority, accrual of money and power at someone else's expense, yearning for popularity and recognition and approval and status, all those are marks of living in the world and they're the opposite of the kingdom mindset. And that dynamic is what we see operating here in this social system of slavery of Paul and Philemon. Paul injects the power of the gospel and it begins a transformation. Paul's appeal to Philemon, it's not focused in on the institution of slavery. Maybe some of us would have liked Paul to just take up that cause. Uh, But instead, he is focused in on a change of heart rooted in the gospel, a change that will lead to reconciliation that will begin to ripple through time because a master and a slave now see each other as brother in Christ, as equal in status before the cross. And that will forever change their circumstances. And that has to change the very household of Philemon. Here he is reading this letter. He's got other slaves And he's being challenged. I need to accept this slave back as a brother in Christ. If I accept him, you know, these others are going to be asking for the same thing. And that dynamic, that power transformed the household of Philemon. We know that because we wouldn't have this letter otherwise. If Philemon rejected it, we would never have this letter. And now Onesimus stands before Philemon with Paul's letter in hand, and he's a new creature in Christ. And Paul invites Philemon to embrace this new reality. Paul is saying, this Onesimus, he was your runaway slave, but no longer. A radical change has happened. I want you to know the one who stands before you is no longer a household instrument. 
He's no longer an economic tool in your hand. He's a brother in the Lord. And not just a brother. Look at verse 16. He says, a dear brother, a fellow man. He raises the dignity of this slave. He's a fellow man and a brother in the Lord. Here, he's saying, Philemon is someone with whom you will dwell all eternity with. And so I want you to see him that way. I want you to relate him to that way. I want you to welcome and embrace him that way. And without saying it, even though Paul didn't challenge the institution of slavery, even Paul didn't say, you need to free Onesimus. There is the expectation that this new reality, this power of the gospel is going to bring that freedom. Because in verse 21, Paul says, confident of your obedience. I love Paul's cheekiness in this, eh? Confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. He's so confident of the man's faith, the gospel that has gripped his life, the integrity with which he lives. He knows that if we track out the gospel, it leads to Onesimus' freedom. Paul is confident that Philemon can trace out the lines of the gospel, how he can see how it upends his former relationship with his slave. And in that household, they begin picture, to show a slave-saturated world a different reality, reality rooted in Jesus Christ. You know, that's the work of us as a church, where we are called to think through the gospel and trace out its implications, its trajectory. Where is the gospel leading us? Where is it holding us? What are the implications of it? Take note of how the power of the gospel begins inside the human heart, but then it moves out. It begins to have this upside-down impact on our relationships, on our interactions with culture. It upends the corrupted systems of this broken world. There are always, always social implications of the gospel. But how? Because I don't know about you, the problems of the world can feel really big. How can we change structures of society? What sort of impact can the gospel have to heal the brokenness of our communities, of our workplaces? Well, in Philemon, we see the power of the gospel function sort of like a small pebble thrown into a pond that begins to send out ripples of freedom and liberation that Jesus proclaims. But that didn't come quickly, right? Which reminds us of how hard it is to stamp out the power of sin in this world. It is difficult, and it takes time, and it takes persistent effort. Freedom of slaves was a painfully slow process. It remains so today. But it started with the gospel being applied, lived out in this little church that met in Philemon's home. That's where it began. This is where the gospel always gets worked out, the power of the gospel, where reconciliation happens, where we can see, begin to see the meaning of the gospel right here among us, in this community here, in our relationships, in our shared life. And our shared life, when, when we are living out the gospel, is a beautiful prophetic witness to the world that a different life is possible, that a different reality, a different world is possible. The church has got to show the world how beautiful the politics of grace are, which is what we see here in Philemon. And I know it's so easy, right, to get overwhelmed with social injustice and, and crushed by all that's wrong in the world. 
So can we start right here? Here's a doable community where we can work out the gospel right here. How might our life as a church show the world something so powerfully different? How can we be a community where all are equal before the cross, all united in the beautiful grace of Jesus? How might we apply the good news of Jesus Christ, the acceptance of Christ of all of us, and extend that, demonstrate that, show that to one another? How can we as a community of Christ, God's reconciled community, show the city of Toronto how to live in harmony, how people of every nation, race, and tribe can live together in love and how it can work and how it can be a beautiful thing? So let's ask ourselves, where do we need to see reconciliation here in this community? We can point out in the city and point out all the areas, absolutely, but how about right here? Where's there division among us? Where's there conflict among us? Where are we allowing con- uh, the categories of the world to keep us separate? Name all those areas, and to each of those areas, you know what we need to declare? We need to declare the no longer of the gospel. Yes, there are divisions, there are conflicts, but in Christ, no longer, because we have been united in Christ. No longer are there divisions based on social status, for a new thing has happened. We are united in Christ. No longer can there be divisions between male and female, for there is a new reality. We're united in Christ. No longer can there be divisions rooted in race or ethnicity, Because there's a new creation, friends, and we are the people of God together. No longer will you be treated less than or be allowed to be thought of as more than. No longer will you be marginalized and alone. No longer. This is our call, to be agents of reconciliation. And the power to do this It is among us. It's not found in ourselves. What Paul is doing and demonstrating here is what Christ has done for us. He is living out the very work of Jesus Christ for us. And here's where we get a glimpse of the beauty of the gospel. As we close, put yourself in this moment in Onesimus' place, okay? Here is Onesimus having run away, and now he's standing before his master Philemon, letter in hand, That's not Philemon. Change the picture. This is God on Judgment Day, your master. And we're standing there before him, expecting harsh judgment like Onesimus is. Philemon had every right to hand down the death penalty. Paul is appealing to Philemon, saying, I'm asking you to use your power and your privilege to take the hit for the slave that left you to pay his debt, not to charge it to his account. I'm asking you to charge it to my account. And then he's saying, I bet you'll do even more. That's the moment where we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, where we know the death penalty should have come to us. The verdict should have been on us. Guilty, punishment is coming down. But the master receives us as adopted sons and daughters and gives us the full inheritance, one for us in Jesus. The verdict is no longer, you are slaves. The verdict is, you are dearly loved, adopted children. And that, friends, that is the power of the gospel to not only change a human heart, 
that is not only the power to make the church a beautiful witness, that is the power to upend all the broken structures of our world. That is the power of God. Let's pray. God, when you write a little postcard epistle, wow, you pack a lot of punch in it. What an amazing power that we see in this little book of Philemon. What a remarkable power the gospel is. Oh, Father, we pray that we would know that power among us. For any of us who've never experienced the power of the gospel changing our identity, our understanding of who we are, God, we pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would make that power become alive, that people know and embrace Jesus as their Lord and Savior. God, we pray that power would come alive in a fresh way among us as a community. May it overcome any division or conflict, hardness or bitterness or hurt. And may we together be a community so powerfully charged by this radical gospel that we model for a broken world something attainable, something beautiful, a new world, a new reality. May we enter into all the harsh, broken realities of this world with the reconciling power of the gospel in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.